I can hear you now. You can hear me? Okay. Well, what was the yeah. issue? Yeah. I wasn't plugged in. <laughs> oh, plug in. Always plug in. I'm pl- <laughs> plugged Check in. Check your plugs. I was playing with my my chugger. Oh, <laughs> did you did you work out a ditty? Yeah, I'm just kind of messing with um, like plucking it like a bass. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I, <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. I guess we're doing well. I guess is compared to what? Yeah. <laughs> if I have to know, you have to know. Mm-hmm. But um, well, Florida's about to pass one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. So, fun, fun, fun. Good times. We're living in Shitsville. So. It's all moved. We to really Europe. are. Moved to Europe. That's we really, really are. No, I mean this country's great. When People mind their own goddamn business and uh, let people have autonomy over their own bodies and treat everyone equally under the law. This country can be great. Could be pretty basic and and easy. Yeah. 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 Don't hand over um, classified documents when you've sworn an oath. You've sworn an oath. In some game, as as a member of the military. as, As a member of the military, you know, you've been entrusted with these documents. Uh, I'm talking about the 21-year-old Tashera. Oh, I thought there was a Jack yeah. somebody also. Um, oh, yeah. It's a t- Jack Tashera, I thought. Oh, may- maybe this. Okay. That's- I, I, but, uh, you know, what, what does service mean for anybody anymore? What the f- What does no, loyalty mean it. for anybody? Yeah. Or compassion or any of the – any pick a word. Pick a word that is a nice word <laughs> and, and see if there's meaning pick to it. Pick a good word. A word for goodness. You know, charitability, yeah. compassion, loyalty. Those are good words. Unquant- He's a quant- liar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of our film that we're. I know we this we have a liar. Well, a couple of liars in this film. Yes, we do. And yes, we do. Um, do you? Shall we sit greet the folks out there? We should greet those folks out there in podcast land. You are, I'm going to do it this time, just because I'm ready. You do it. Okay. You do it. Hello, beautiful people, wherever in time, space, or on the globe you are. Welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm one of your co-hosts. I have a big, great pair of knees snout in my, my face because I'm in a different place than I usually am. Snout in your face. A snout in my face. And I'm here with my lovely, wonderful, erudite, and highly intelligent co-host, Beth. Good evening. Would you, I just like to say schnout, schnout in my face. Schnout, get your schnout out of my face. Schnout in my Shut face. Shut the front door. Um, <laughs> what uh, film are we doing tonight? We're doing yeah. a film. I think it means a lot to both of us. This film came out in 1989. It's called Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and it was a Steven Soderbergh breakthrough indie film released in 1989. And you know a bit of the backstory for the writing for this, don't you? I I thought you maybe I know you're a Soderbergh fan and you're you kind of follow his work, um, but I do know that he was 26 years old, right? When this Something like that. At, he was younger Pond. than his actors. Yeah. We were only just to, you know really in that ballpark, and <laughs> to think well, that he's 26 and presenting this film at Cannes is really pretty uh, impressive. We were just a little bit younger. And mm-hmm. I think he was the youngest Palme d'Or winner at Cannes ever. And what I read was he wasn't even supposed to, 
you know, exhibit this this piece of work there, but somebody dropped out and he ended up putting it up there. And he thought, well, if it's gonna, you know, be blown away, if the people are gonna lambaste it, let's go big, <laughs> do it at con anyhow. And he yeah. was treated with a welcoming response, to say the least. Fortune favors the brave, folks. Yeah. Just remember that, especially to our younger listeners. Fortune favors the brave. Now so I do be like, bold. Be bold. Now I can't. Let me think of his whole filmography. I can't quite. Um, he did Steven Steven Soderbergh. He did um, Traffic. He did. I love that film. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, I'm going to draw a blank now. Hold on. Let me look at the filmography. Um, Steven Soderbergh. He did That's Contagion, wanna... which was very prescient. Hold on just a sec, Sam. And then you can say Contagion again. Steven Soderbergh, he did a lot of great films. He did the Oceans Trilogy and Ongo. I think it's more than a trilogy now, isn't it? Aren't there more of them? He did the franchise, anyhow, for Ocean. Uh, che, The Informant, Contagion, Haywire, Magic Mike, which saw a lot of success. I haven't seen that yet. Side Effects, uh, Logan's Run, Unsane, Let Them All Talk, No Sudden, sudden Move, Kimi. Um, he does a lot of psychological crime and heist films. And I, he stopped writing his, his own scripts. He did do the directing and the cinematography, I think, or was lead cinematographer, and the script writing for this. So he, he, he was all hands-on for this film, and I think it really shows this labor of love. And I read that it is somewhat autobiographical, and each of the four main characters represents one aspect of his personality. Yeah. I do know that I read somewhere that, uh, that the idea had been sort of rattling around in his head for a couple of years, and on some cross-country trip, he basically wrote the entire script on a, a legal pad. That's amazing. fully fleshed out film by the time he was done, at least in his mind, once he had finished writing. I, I read somewhere that he's also thinking of doing a sequel, and I just can't even imagine a sequel to this. There was it, – was it a sequel, or did – did it? Um, there's a whole. There's something, thing. and I forget the title of the film. It's supposed to be a quote spiritual sequel with none of the original cast members in it. But he, during lockdown and the pandemic lockdown part, he thought maybe he might return to that. He wrote an original piece that's that's supposed to be more closely linked. I think maybe include the original characters. Yeah. There was a lot of um, a lot of reaction. A lot of. Uh, what is the word I want to use, Sam? I think honesty and, and relatability. You'd seen a lot of gloss in some – do you mean prior to Sex Lies videotape? Well, it's it's pointed to frequently as sort of launching that that uh, sort of indie movement yeah. um, in the 90s. Yeah, that there Late were alternatives to what was force – what we were force-fed from Hollywood. And there was a lot of gloss and not a lot of honesty, not a lot of true representations of women or men – or the layers, you just had a lot of archetypes. And we, we spoke about deliverance being very honest in its method also. And I think this is even more honest. There's something very tactile, and I like to say when I when I go down in my home territory, it, the gravity is right when you feel like you're in your hometown, like you, know, you can feel your bare feet on, on the grass kind of thing. And there's something very grounded about this film that, that I love, and I loved returning to after all these years. I had told you what I, when I was watching this film, I'm, and it didn't dawn on me before, 
and I think I'd only seen it one other time, maybe bits and pieces of it since then, but not all the way through. Uh, I thought, for sure, this is the low country. <laughs> when I saw it, especially that scene where he's going across the bridge in his car. I, it's not. It's, it's not. I really thought it was. I didn't know if it was. I didn't see the marsh, the telltale signs of marshland that I know from. I guess that was more bayou or whatever, which makes sense. They're in Baton Rouge. But what well, you do have, what, at least two actors, at least two actors who are from the South in this film. So maybe that lent itself. Wait, more. who are the two actors from the South? Well, Andy McDowell was born in South Carolina. Well, I knew that. And but Laura Sangiacomo. Doesn't she always have the Southern? Let me look her up real quick. I think I want to see more. Nice Italian girl from. <laughs> Laura from, from Southern New York. <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> let's see where she's from. She, she does from Jersey. Good, really? I don't know. No, I'm just saying she is with from South Jersey, of New York. West Jersey. Orange, New Jersey. So oh my yes, God, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. Wait, she is from the South. She She's south of, <laughs> well, south of the Manhattan. The Jersey accent has those peaks and valleys like a good Southern accent does, if you think about it. The flip side. <laughs> I don't know how I can make that we, relate. Well, we should talk about the. Um, Principal actors. It's not that we didn't do our homework, but, but we didn't <laughs> I thought it would be more fun for this episode to just sort of share our experience because these are our contemporaries, really, if you think about it. I'm going the, to deny can... that because I'm holding on to every year I can. <laughs> so there's about they're about six years older. They are older than we are, but I I mean, in the same neighborhood ballpark. <laughs> In the same ballpark. Contemporaries. And and also the South. And lots of people, we grew up, both of us, in South Florida. And a lot of people sort of excuse Florida like it's not part of the South. But it's very much in the in the South as well, I think. And you have James Spader in one of the lead roles. You have Andy McDowell, who had only been in a couple of films, notably Tarzan, Greystoke, the Tarzan film. And I believe uh, they did a voiceover because the directors and, and – powers that be didn't like her southern accent so that that has to be insulting as an actress uh peter gallagher always plays kind of a sleazoid doesn't he <laughs> in his films and oh, no not all the time but yeah yeah and, and uh laura san giacomo the only only other fixed place i remember her from was that great show just shoot me remember that one with i Siegel? loved just shoot me and i'm glad you you are taking a nod to that because I loved that comedy. I loved it, and and I just loved George Siegel too. We lost him recently, and and I just loved him to death. It was a very witty, funny show. It was about uh, it was a sitcom. Yeah. It was like the many of the sitcoms sort of in the late '90s and and early uh, aughts, yeah. you know, the early 2000s yeah. that yeah. came up on MB, uh, Veronica's Closet, yeah. Christie Alley's That's series. Right. Actor, oh, uh, Christina, I think Christina Applegate had a series on there, short, uh, short-lived series. Oh, but I they, remember that, yes. Yeah, um, so these series ran for something like, I would say, four seasons at least. I know that Just Shoot Me was on there for quite a while. I remember being devoted but, to that, so it must have been on for a while. And Mad yeah, About You was around that time, you know, those yeah. kind of – Mad About You um, kind of lasted into the early aughts. Then she got mean, then, Helen Hunt. And I think that's what they said in the actual program, like we're splitting up because you got mean. They tried to reboot that. I don't know if it was successful. I didn't go back to it. Did they try to reboot? Yeah. That? They they Currently. did reboot Will and Grace. But oh oh. Yeah. I'd like to go back. I I liked Will and Grace. It was a very happy place to be. 
watching that. Yeah, I miss happy places. I do too. You know what? <laughs> this film is one of those films of innocence from the 80s. Not the John Hughes kind of glamorized innocence, but something there's something truer about this film, I think. It's that gravity I was trying to express. I don't know how I can come up with a better phrase. It's just uh, you, you can see real reactions. There's a famous story that goes with the uh, – there's a scene, where an opening scene where Aunt, the Andy McDowell character, Anne, is with her therapist, and he asks her various questions, and some are about her sex life. And he, they had to keep, they had to take multiple takes, um, mostly because Steven Soderbergh was amazed that Andy McDowell could blush on cue, because the therapist asks her if she ever masturbates, and her response is, "Oh no, no, no!" You know, she's embarrassed, and she's truly embarrassed as as a character and as an actor, and blushed every single take. And you get a lot of these really close close-ups of people. And I did read that he used the um, the tracking shot a lot because it's a very talky film, right? There's a lot of dialogue, but and not a lot of movement, right? Very concise. Like, you no know, car chases, explosions, and leaping off buildings, and you know paragliding, and you know just it's more of an intellectual endeavor. So he used the tracking shot to to also, you know, move around, but then gets into those extreme close-ups where you feel like you could reach out and touch the characters. Feel there are pulses. some, yeah. There are a couple of very well acted, intimate scenes. Scene that's most memorable for most people that see this film is the the sort of the confrontation scene between uh, Andy McDowell's character and James Spader's character. But then there are some other really good duets in this film too. I think I love the sister a, scenes too. Yes, those absolutely. seem so real to me. You you have two sisters, right? The Andy McDowell is sort of the the gracious southern lady stereotype wouldn't you say very stereotypical and then her sister very polite very polite. Super polite she married well she's not really content being a housewife but she's taken that role and she's in therapy for for big it seems like you know big unsolvable world issues like all the trash in the world and starving people and things that bother her that she can't control but this, I think underneath that is a deep unhappiness with this this lackluster marriage. And the deal with Anne also is she's she's not that into sex. And that's the funny thing about this the title of this film as well. It's called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I did read that Steven Soderbergh was a little nervous when he was going to pass out scripts or ask people to participate because it doesn't sound good. It sounds like you're going to be in a cast in a skin flick, right? <laughs> and... It's almost anti-sex, big lies, and videotape. I mean, that's how the film opens. Um, just real quick. Mm -hmm. So James plays uh, – James Spader pl – James, like I know him personally. Uh, James Jimmy. Spader plays one of the leads, uh, Graham, mm -hmm. and Andy McDowell plays Annie. Mm -hmm. Peter Annie Gallagher Bishop plays Malone. John. Yeah. yeah. Willaney. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's married to John Mullaney. He's a lawyer. And her sister's name is Cynthia slash Cindy. I guess he John calls her Cindy, doesn't he? He says Went Sin. I guess that's maybe a play Sin, on Yeah, something words. like that, yeah. But uh, Cynthia is her sister. So it's just uh, basically for – A quartet, basically. Central act, yeah, quartet, parlor piece film. Yeah. But it does open with that – 
that funny scene where you see James Spader coming, cruising in his car, coming into town. There's two. We get our character introduction basically in the first five minutes of the film. And it, and it feels very low country when he's driving. You're right. Very low yeah. country. And he's got a convertible. It's open. And he's got a damn ashtray on his. How does that work? <laughs> I don't know. On his <laughs> death. Well, work. I mean, the first thing he's he takes a. Uh, basically a sponge bath he pulls into a you know oh that down. was nasty in there did you beaten notice down. they took the trouble to put you know things on the seat of the toilet as well no i did not they, well have another look it's ooh. i'd rather not uh, you, you can <laughs> skip that and lead, lead a fulfilling life i think he goes in to kind of basically clean himself up shave sponge himself off you you can tell he's just kind of been driving around and living nomadically and living in his car while you get this image of him driving you get that kind of voiceover that brings you into the office of the therapist yeah Through, throughout she, this opening she's talking isn't she to the her therapist there's this bizarre kind of humor in this film the way it's written yeah. and you know well i just don't know about all the trash you know <laughs> All that trash. <laughs> well, and also when he asks her about her, you know, alone time sexual experiences, she says, it just seems silly. What with all the trash <laughs> in the world and everything. Well, why would, you know, just, and I think those got big laughs way back then. They did get big laughs. I remember um, laughing out loud. I, I had almost the things that come muscle memory laughter. Now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember that was mm -hmm. a big laugh. And I'm too cynical and jaded now to laugh at that, you know. But I remember it being charming, and I guess it would be a, considered a comedy when it came out. I don't know when Steel Magnolias came out. Yeah. But in a way, Annie Bishop Mullaney, sort of a parody of that, you know, yeah. because the Julia Roberts character is the perfect Southern young belle in yes. a way. Yes. Of a new generation. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to typify that or, or characterize her character in Steel Magnolias, which is a wonderful movie. That is a wonderful movie. Sort of the darling, sweet girl, daughter of the South in a good way, I guess, if that's... Well, there a, is a, a known stereotype, whether you... And whenever... I, I can tell you all, my, my birth town is Beaufort, South Carolina, and when you go back to the low country, you you take it on a bit. And There's whether a, you want to or not, you take it off. I do kind of think that the Andy McDowell character, Annie, is sort of a, sort of a side commentary against that stereotype. Seems well, happy she's and so warm soft. And friendly. I yeah. she, she's soft. She I'm not saying softly, she's not. Softly. Yeah. I, I'm not saying she's not. I think that the, the character is sort of, in a way, Soderbergh is going, well, here's the problem with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is she allowed to be a, a fully three-dimensional, fully realized woman, person, whatever? And I, I kind of think that that's Yeah, that's and you get the impression that she's come from generations of southern ladies who had to say the right thing and don't curse and don't, you know, question their husbands or anything, really. And and that's the part she chooses to play, and I don't think she has to in 1989 or 85 or whenever it's supposed to be set. Came out in 89, so I guess 85-ish. Yeah, I think it's dawning on her. And her um, sister is just the just polar opposite, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Artist Cynthia's by day, great. I love works Cynthia. as a bartender. And, and there's a I love her accent too. In I a prefer way, to stand. Accent. I love. 
Her accent feels so much more. Um, I just can't believe she's from Jersey. Authentic in a way. Yeah. Um, it's not overdone. I don't think it. It seems like pitch perfect, just right. And Spader has this softness. I mean, if you're a James Spader fan, you know he's famous for his velvety, silky voice. And it's and he's so young in this. I think he must be around Soderbergh's age, right? Around 26, 27. He might have been like 29. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. He, he looks like a puppy. And, uh, he does. So, you know what's what's really fascinating to me? So, so the main story is you have this triangle with the two sisters and this cheating, lying lawyer husband of, of the Anne character. Well, we don't even know that yet because we... Oh well, do, no. We don't we get a cut to scene like in his office while Anne is talking to the therapist. I'm trying to remember, and he's setting up. We his... see him in his office, and he picks up the phone, and, and we get tipped off right away. This is our introduction to John. That uh, oh, that's he's going over. He's going over to he, he reschedules an appointment. Yeah. We don't know exactly what he does. We find out later, but he's doing well. You can tell, and then the next thing you know, he's. Going, he's on the doorstep of some random woman's house, but we find out who the that random woman is. With the greatest line ever. What what is What's, it? Sometime I'd like to do it in my sister's bed. Oh God. Sometime, do you think we could ever do it in my sister's bed? I get a perverse thrill about thinking about the great, the popular, the beautiful Anne Bishop Malone, and me fucking her husband in her bed. Uh, Mulaney. It's Mulaney? Not Malone. It's Why do I keep Mulaney. saying Malone? I don't know. You just want to say Malone. No, I, I no, I get these mental ticks, and once my brain says that's the name, then it's Willaney in the script. I actually saw the uh, screenplay, Mulaney, and it's Willaney with a W in the script. Maybe oh. it is. I, I was just had the subtitles, uh, but they don't always convey everything correctly, as you know. So, um, but but we anyhow we it's an interesting. You're, in, I, I was lured in and relured. Because that's a great opening, the the voiceover and Anne in the therapy session while we're getting little bits and pieces of what's happening in her life. She's talking about sex in her therapist's office. Meanwhile, they're they're cutting across these scenes, and her husband is is sleeping with her sister. And her the, sister the seems to have is. a real vengeful streak for her. Or, or, or lives in her shadow. We get the impression she lives in her shadow. And she was the homecoming queen type and all that. And and here she yeah, is. What did you make of that? Because she's beautiful too, right? They're both beautiful ladies. But but I think the younger sister has a chip on her shoulder. Because but, Anne has yeah. done all the right things, I guess, in their family's view, maybe. But don't you think that's kind of toxic and unhealthy for <laughs> At almost 30 years old, 30 years yeah. of age, you're not like 21 anymore. Yeah. You're, you're in your mid to late 20s, yeah. you know, circling around 30 and and married and established. And, and uh, Cynthia not quite – hasn't quite put down her roots, but in her own way she has, I guess. Yeah. So, but to still be – have that kind of toxic competitiveness, I don't oh, know. Sibling jealousy can, can last a long time. And even so. even if the little you know hurts of youth have passed by, they they grow in your mind over time. I just think that she has something from her youth that she can't let go of, mm. and she holds it against Anne. 
and so she's she's going the artist bartender you know free free willing way and there's nothing wrong with that by the way she's she's just a free spirit <laughs> but i think she's not doing it for the wrong, wrong reasons and not that there's anything wrong with that we learn toward the end and we'll We'll get there eventually that she has a self-esteem problem and that's at the heart of most of this i think the next thing that happens is we get the introduction between andy mcdowell's character and james spader <laughs> that's wonderful now this house is why i thought it was maybe in south carolina or Georgia. i mean i was feeling it the whole time yeah and uh i, and I got excited i gotta tell you <laughs> i was like i can't wait to talk to sam <laughs> And then, then I read Baton Rouge. I'm like, oh, I know. Shit. And, and I've been, Damn it. I've been deceived all these years by myself because I didn't know that. All these years, I thought it was, it had to be a Carolina or at least a Georgia. But, but no, it's Baton Rouge, and it's a nicely appointed. It looks like a sort of McMansion type, type of house to me, and uh, but nicely appointed, and everything's spotless. And here arrives the James Spader, and he's. He's one of these people who's very direct and blunt and soft-spoken and looks a person right in their eyes. And immediately, it's a bit awkward between Anne and, and, and Graham. He, what, what does he do? He, he introduces himself. Well, he, he opens up the – you see that ashtray on the – out of his like, Ford Fairlane I just want to know how that driving. works. Wouldn't it all come flowing out into your face? I, don't I know. would think – I should think so. Opens up the, the trunk – Grabs his. I thought it was a trash bag. It's not. It's like some sort of laundry bag. I thought it was like Which a sea bag, worse. if that has a name. You know, one of those sea duffel, like military yeah, duffel. Yeah, sea thing. duffel. But there was something more elastic and stretchy about it. I mean, I've had one of those, yeah. a, a sea bag, and it's it's hard canvas. It's oh, it's not as yeah. So that was more pliable as you would think. <laughs> okay. And we see some gear, and there's a videotape gear, and I don't think too much of that except for the name of the movie, right? Sex movie and videotape. So you clock that right away because of the title. And he comes and in. He's wearing what I think is a normal outfit, by the way, Beth. I thought it was pretty normal too. He's, he's just wearing a very nice black button-down shirt and some nice, well-fitting jeans. And this becomes a point in the film, right? Well, yeah, later on over dinner, um, John makes a comment about it. But that, that introduction, he he does something very polite, which is I brought strawberry. Well, what does he say first? It's a very awkward meeting. He, he, the first thing he, he wants, wants to is, get to the bathroom as soon as possible. So he hurries and says, do you like strawberries? I brought you some strawberries. Where's your bathroom, please? You know, and she's just all smiles, you know, sort of trying to measure him up and be polite and gracious and points him down the hall. And she tries to make a phone call, I think, to tell her husband, John, get here now. I'm alone with him because <laughs> she's not feeling too comfortable. And he comes right back out and she says, that was fast. And he says, false alarm. And I think that got a big laugh back in the day. What what did you make of that? The fact that he asks immediately to go to the bathroom and then he comes right back out. I think three possible things. One could be just look in the mirror and say you're okay, you can do this. Maybe he's having anxiety. Mm -hmm. Second, he has a prostate <laughs> issue, <laughs> but he seems a bit young for that. And third, a, a cocaine habit if it's the 80s. But I think it's the first that he has some anxiety. Uh, the, all three of those occurred to me, but I do think you're right. I think it's he just suffers from terrible anxiety yes. at this point in his life. I don't know that he always did because when we find out things 
from John later when they I, sit down I really for dinner. I really can't wait to hear your theory on this because I, I don't know what he means by a certain word we've talked about lately. We'll talk about it later. There's so much to unpack about Graham. There really is a lot to unpack about Graham. So that alone and James Spader yeah. and, yeah, everybody else is great in it, but <laughs> James yeah. Spader alone is reason enough to watch this movie about ten times. So James Spader – can look at somebody in the movie in the eyes, and you feel like he's looking into your soul, just as the viewer. It's a voyeuristic kind of film, isn't it? This is a good place to sidebar with James Spader. James Spader sort of got that that start with the uh, the Brat Pack oh, yeah. in the eighties. Less than zero. I'm, he was what else? less than zero. Pretty he in plays pink. the Pretty in Pink. He plays that young twenty-something or teen-something villain. That's the guy he plays. You know, the privileged, white, rich. Snotty little rich boy, which, yeah, which you might get tired of. But he, but he sort of changed roots, didn't he? he sort of to pull him. that off at such a young age and be so damn convincing. And, and I, people don't realize uh, Pretty in Pink, I don't think, would be half the movie it wound up being without James Bader's performance. Same than Zero. He you know, plays I've never seen absolute. Less Than Zero. And I feel like That's I, a film I have to give back do. my X card or something if, if I don't. Yes, you do. <laughs> give it back now. <laughs> I didn't know you you hadn't seen Less Than Zero. I've seen Less Than Zero probably about three or four times. And it's a hard film to watch, I think. They're all in it, It was they? hard then, huh? All of the, the Brat Packers are in that one, aren't they? Is Robert Downey um, in that one? And... Robert Downey's in it. Andrew McCarthy. Oh yeah. Beta. Oh, Jamie. Jamie, Jamie Gertz. Gertz. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think you mentioned right. that. As yeah, Jamie Gertz we played Blair. Pastors. Michael. Which Brown. would have was you know his love interest and well wound up being both their love interest. It's a good movie, but it hurts. It's hard to watch. To wrap up, um, he's he's gone on to to play a lot of roles. He's wrapping up Blacklist, right? The fin- mm. This is the final season of Blacklist. That's been going since 2013, so that's some stamina. And and star pull there, and good writing. He's he I'm played uh, red re, a recurring role, a special recurring role yeah. uh, on on The Office. I thought he was very funny in that. James Spader was in a not a spinoff, but another sort of legalese inspired television series called Boston Legal. Yeah. And there might have been some crossover there from Ally McBeal. Notably, his co-star was William Shatner. So they were the two leads. What, what and also Betty White. Chemistry they must have had. Betty White was in that that series. Boston Legal I have to go back and get, well, how did I miss that one? I'm going to go back and look at that Boston one. Boston Legal is an incredible series, and James Bader is perfection in it. I should have and watched that instead of so Ally McBeal that made me feel so bad. So was William Shatner. If you like uh, kind of quick banter, humor, clever dialogue. I would recommend Boston Legal to anybody. It's a great show, right. really great, and sort of a you know, a quirky sense of humor. You know what? Anybody who wants to diss William Shatner, leave him alone. He's 92. He inspired <laughs> a lot of people, so just I'm, I won't have it. I just Denny won't. Crane. I even like his his version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. <laughs> no, they, they they have wonderful chemistry. He and James Spader. They have fantastic chemistry. Must chemistry have been thinking, I get Boston. to work with Captain Kirk. No, I, I love James Spader. I would recommend to anybody if you follow his career and you like to blacklist, 
he plays a very eccentric kind of uh, anti-hero, likable criminal in, in Blacklist who helps the FBI. And he, during, I guess, the earlier seasons of Blacklist, he did, it must have been a while ago because it was Charlie Rose. He was on Charlie Rose, and he's just as eccentric and morally ambiguous in real life as, as he is in Blacklist and many of his other choices. Would you call him B-list? I don't think he's a B-list actor. I no, think I just think he's level very particular about picky. what he pick, wants to be in. Yeah, and what he wants to do. B-list B is what you in. get, right? Yeah. And I think he just picks what he wants. I think Spader could do whatever he wanted to do. And it's funny, at the same time this film came out, uh, Bad Influence with Rob Lowe, he was just kind of like a little 20-something film. Yeah made and marketed towards our generation, but it was actually a really good film. Uh, Spader plays sort of a nerdy, uh, milk toasty, and he, and he pulls it off. You know, usually he, he plays the bad guy, yeah. but in this, he's like Mr. Straight-Laced, and then Rob Lowe just kind of comes into his life, yeah. and um, Rob Lowe is psychotic, and he goes about <laughs> trying to ruin James Spader, you know, just kind of steal parts of his life and, and ruin parts of his life. Uh, it's great. It's a great little film that it came out around the same time that this film did. You know what? You can't recreate that stuff. You just have to go back and look at the original things, the original films. You cannot recapture the 80s, folks, new filmmakers. You have to go back and look at things like Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. And also, have you have you seen uh, anything that captures the 80s as good as an 80s film, Ken? I was going to say that this film is part of our identity. Yeah. As Gen Xers. Yeah. Uh, or represent and maybe representative of our identity as Gen Xers. Except I maybe think we must angst. have been a little edgier than the folks in, in Baton Rouge because much ado is made about the way James Spader dresses and we were getting there we were having <laughs> dinner that first night and, and and like the good southern hostess uh, Andy McDowell's and um, serves the strawberries he brought. And he's wearing mm -hmm. his black shirt, which is a nice button-down black shirt, and his jeans. And John starts laughing at him and says, boy, have you changed? What's with this getup? Did somebody die? And uh, oh. James Spader is looking bewildered. And then the John character looks alarmed, like, oh, did did someone die? And I'm thinking, that's really not – it's not like he's full, fully gothed out or, you know, anything. It's just nice – business casual so what's with that stuff i don't know well if you think of the trends in the 80s you know early 80s the preppy look was very big that's right that's and then right. sort of later early 80s miami vice so there are a lot of pastels and polos and yeah. linen suits and weird you know, z cavalry changes <laughs> parachute pants came out in the oh, 80s oh, Just, there were a lot of really weird trends yeah and then I, I do remember sort of after the mid-80s toward the late 80s into the 90s. And maybe, you know, it's just that was just sing, signaling the coming of grunge. Who knows? But things yeah. got more granola, a little That's bit darker, right. a little bit more earthy, a lot more plaid. I didn't <laughs> remember that, though, because when I'm looking from today's vantage, I'm thinking he's nicely dressed there. Very nice. Nicely. And I read one uh, little article that said that John is also alarmed because of his very long hair. He doesn't have very long hair. It's very nicely feathered, I have to say. What color do you think his well, hair is? Is that ginger or is that something else? I'm not sure. I th it looks more blonde in the light, but yeah. when they're sitting there over dinner that night, 
he says, what are you, an undertaker for the art world or something? <laughs> and then he looks at his wife. He looks at uh, at Annie and he says, this guy used to hold, ch- what did he say, chapel? He used to hold services. special services at the back of the chapel. which The, the back of our, our frat house. So he was a frat brother. So I, I'm just kind of imagining James little, Spader. Little sisters or something being involved. Yeah. Yeah, at 20 years old, probably with his little polo and the. You're supposed to think he's got this pastel, you know, baby blue polo on with the collar up yeah. at a kegger in the frat house. Doing the special <laughs> handshakes, doing the everything. Yeah. You know, part, partying with his friend John. And John's looking at him like, who the hell are you? Yeah. You're not the guy that was doing keg stands with me. And this is does seem – one of our Baton Rouge friends will probably correct us, but we do have friends who have, who have lived in Louisiana. Uh, he is wearing this sort of gabardine in some scenes and the bow tie and the suspenders. He's not always wearing a bow tie, but he is in one scene, John, the John character. So he's he's got the southern lawyer look, yeah, the yeah. 80s southern that's, lawyer that's look. That's He's the only one that doesn't um, – well, Spader doesn't speak with an accent, but he's he's the only one that's yeah, – to me, he I doesn't seem be like he belongs there. Region. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have <laughs> – John doesn't seem like he belongs there, and somehow Graham does. Yeah, but Graham is coming back home, and we get the impression over dinner that there's this long lost – the big love of his life lived there. And he lost yeah, her Elizabeth. I missed part of that dialogue, but the second time I watched through it, he goes – yeah, after after the services. In other words, after the party phase, sort of immediately after our frat boy party phase, he met Elizabeth and got kind of serious, and there was a falling out. And, and yeah, and then there's a, a kind of funny bit. Is this where the key talk is? I can only have one key. Bit. I love, okay, so he's he. The reason why he's there is he's just back into town. He needs a place to stay, but it comes up over dinner that he's looking for a place. And uh, she offers, you know, Annie offers. I'll I'll show you around. Well, we'll actually, is my mic on? Sorry, um, it is. Sorry, I I thought John said, "Why don't you take?" Like he's almost dumping. Yeah, he does on him. And she very graciously says, "I'd love that. I'd like that. Would you like that?" And he's. I think there's attraction from the beginning. Oh yeah, I I think so. I don't. Th- I think um, it's not occurred to either of them yet. I, I think he he notices her beauty right away. He says, "Have you ever been on television?" Because he can't. Yeah. You know, when he first meets her, I think she realizes he's nothing like John, or he presents nothing which, like John. Which is very telling. She despises the character of her own husband, and she's thinking, "Well, oh, this guy's not so bad. I I kind of like him, yeah. at least." Uh, initially, but she, yeah, she jumps right on that. Like, yeah, I'll, but I don't think she really understands I, where I, that that's going. I, I want your opinion. Yeah. I, I think it's maybe after we, we're in an apartment scene where we're kind of looking at what the apartment that he'll take. So Anne, Annie is there, and James Spader Graham. I have to get Graham is not coming out of my mouth easily, and the broker, the real estate broker at this apartment. They're looking around at the same time. The sister, Sin, is with her husband, John, and they're having their little triest. But during this walkthrough of the apartment, Annie stops suddenly and looks concerned, and I wondered if you interpreted that as intuition. like. Hmm. Oh, I did not notice that. 
She looks. She I mean, has the, this look the of whole consternation ruse. suddenly. Huh. The whole ruse, though, about John encouraging them over dinner. Yeah, you should help him look for an apartment. Is is he wants to provide for Cynthia that fantasy, yeah. having sex in her sister's bed. Mm. Yeah. He's creepy. It's and and I'm saying he's creepy. I'm giving the sister a pass. Why is that? I don't know. Well, we are. Blood is thicker. Because you know. He looks like he's going to take the apartment, and, and uh, Graham and Annie are having lunch. I love this where, conversation. Yeah, it's a great conversation. I love the way it's shot. I love the intimacy. I love that I feel like I'm sitting right there. I know how soft their hair is or just everything. It just You can imagine her wearing a floral scent, and he smells like nice soap <laughs> and uh, yeah he you can tell james spader smells like nice soap. and this looks like shower. any sort of okay. casual restaurant you would find in the south in those days do do people just go and hang out and have lunch <laughs> like like we, we did in our to. 20s we used to we used to all the time Let's meet that at was called wherever that was part of the culture french was connection going up out by double roads or whatever when you didn't have to go anywhere or be anywhere that no, was what one happened of the to that Beth? That, i'd like to know well, I'm just saying that I think at a very young age, we appreciated being able to go and sit two people or three or four people and just have – Enjoy each other's you know, waste company. Waste an afternoon. You didn't have to yeah. be – you know, have a full schedule. You you could go and have deep talks. I don't – I'm not yes. letting that go anymore. I'm, I'm finished with <laughs> – I'm going to go but back we, to that – I remember we used to do that every chance we could get. Yeah. Hey, let's go have Irish a leisurely times. lunch. Meet yeah. for lunch. Meet for breakfast. Go to breakfast remember one called Pan hours. American? They had great, great um, <laughs> Cuban food, black beans and rice, and you could get away with your full meal. Pan American, with, South American food. It was really good. It you could get away awesome with five food. bucks. You're, you've got a whole, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Pan American restaurant and was Apollo, amazing. The Apollo Shh. Greek restaurant was yeah. there. I remember that one. Well, Howley's. Howley's. Good sight. Must, must be, be right. right. <laughs> but loved Howley's. Howley's is still there. Howley's is is a is a uh, institution. It should as far be a historic concerned. landmark. It should. It should be. The sign certainly is beautiful. I mean, even the Dunkin' Donuts was the sort with the grill and the bar seats and you know and all that. Oh God, yeah, yeah. But now we've got off. I'm sorry. Where were we going? Oh, we're just gonna encourage all of you to you know what do that thing. Go sit in a, a decent diner or cafe or something. Call up your friend and say, a... hey, meet me at JoJo's. And your friend will be bewildered, like, what's going on? And But really, your your big ulterior motive is to have a nice luncheon and chat together. Don't go to a chain. I mean, a chain if you have to, but yeah. try to find a little hole in the wall somewhere because that's what we used to do. And it was, yeah. it was good, good times. And nobody's rushing you to get done and yeah. get out of there. She makes this overture of yeah. conversation. She, she's just so I was surprised friendly. by her question because she's so, you know, her morally upright other, and proper. She's kind of naive, Sam. She and is. Because we should she, talk about something personal. T- it's like almost a children's game. She says, which is our lunches, tell- by the way, yeah. back in that era. Yeah. Let's talk about our personal life. You tell me all and, of it. And so she, I think she feels comfortable with Graham, too. There's something about him that puts her very much at ease. And he often obviously listens to her. Mm-hmm. And John, you get the he's very dismissive, isn't he? He has to be the center. And so Annie says, 
so are you going to tell me something personal about yourself? And he, of all things, he says what? Doesn't she say, I'll start? Oh, that's right. She starts. And she's <laughs> holding her wine glass and fidgeting. And she says, I think, I won't get it exactly right. So you correct but I me. love the fact that she, that was hilarious. I think I laughed out loud the last time I watched it. And she goes, I'll, let's say, let's talk about something personal. I'll go I'll first. start. <laughs> and she says, I just don't think that sex is such a big thing. And I don't understand why everyone makes it a big thing. It's not that big a deal to me, which is a pretty yeah, big did. thing to admit. To. She says she thinks it's overrated. Yeah. And uh, he gives her some quote about what men look for and women look for. I can't remember. It oh, I, uh, men fall more in love with the women, woman that they're attracted to. Women become more attracted to the women. become more attracted to the people that they are in love with okay and she she's kind of awed by that she goes wow i never you know he says never it's thought just of. a quote <laughs> and and then he he just shares with her he goes i'm impotent so <laughs> and it's really not a word most men are happy to utter aloud <laughs> so, mm -hmm. let alone apply to the, themselves so she and she doesn't judge him or anything. In fact, they're they're, you know, very similar, aren't they? In this way, or seem to. Yeah, be. oddly, they kind of like, hey, they kind of match up a little bit. There. Me too. Oh. I'm and so part part of me during that scene, I'm like, does she really understand what that means for him? But but then later you you realize, yeah, it does. Because the next thing you see is that evening, and what does she do? Oh, this is when you know there's there's an attraction there. In case we forgot to mention, so during this time they are cutting to uh, John and Cynthia having sex. Yes. In their bed, in their marriage bed, John and oh, Anne's yeah. marriage bed. Oh yes. But later that night, there it shows John and and Anne in bed sleeping, and she wakes up and she goes downstairs and she just looks at Graham while he's sleeping. That, you know what, that was a very interesting scene because he looks almost childlike and swallowed up by that couch. I was noticing the couches in this, yeah. in this film. Everything was plush and just takes you in. Therefore, you know, living in these couches. And she just looks at him and then and goes, goes away. And I don't know if he realizes it or, or not. He sort of flinches, but I don't think he does the eye-open thing you know, right away or anything like that. Yeah. What did you make of that? She's so attracted to him. She just wants to look at him without him looking back. I, I do wonder if it is sort of like by 12:30 at night, right, <laughs> or 1:30 in the morning. You know, 1:30 in the morning or whatever. Her brain kind of puts it all together. Like, oh wow, he just disclosed that he's impotent to me. And then I don't know if it's she's curious or she's drawn to him. I think she just wants to watch him sleep. I think she does too, but I think she is an in innocent and naive, like you said, and would never cross a line kind of thing. The next thing we see is Anne is back in her therapist's office. That's right, and the therapist says, how are you holding up with the visitor? And she says, <laughs> yeah. well, that turned out to be not so bad, actually pleasant, because he's so different. I thought I'd have two Johns in the house, and uh, – turns out he's quite different from John. This is not a very good therapist, though, because he doesn't 
dive right into the fact that she likes the visitor more than her husband. She brings up something else about the starving children. Oh. But any anything to deflect from examining what's going on inside her emotionally. So she looks at things, you know, macroscopic, big, big problems that she can't possibly solve while avoiding her personal problems, with, even with the therapist. We never know why yeah, she's in therapy either, except it's used against her at some point. I think later on we do, because there is sort of this uh, nighttime confrontation where she, you know, where she's talking to John. Oh, that triggered me. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of getting clued into the fact that she, she says she, sex isn't that important to her. Yeah. And then later on, we kind of get this confirmation that they haven't really been sexually active. Now, there's a back and forth about who did what first, but I kind of think maybe she was turning cold to being um, physically intimate with John probably early on into their marriage. I think so, too. There's a line. Does she say it to the therapist? He, he said, well, you're, you, you told me before that you're not that interested in sex. And she said, yeah, but I'm curious about how things have been slacking off lately. So he's not even making the yeah. effort or making the overtures. Yes. Or maybe it just happened simultaneously. And you can sense, like, if, when you're with somebody that close, yeah. you can sense when they're sexually open to that. Well, during the it confrontation, to, he makes – to divert, makes note of that, right? You treat me as if I'm covered in shit or, or whatever. Yeah, dipped but in shit. Can I just tell you that in that scene where she confronts him, she's wearing a beautiful sort of satin, lovely nightgown. And I, I was amazed by that back in the day because I thought everyone sleeps in their T-shirt, don't they? Because I don't own one of, one of those things. Do you go to bed every night in that beautiful – Beautiful nightgown. Anne has lovely things. She, she likes lovely very... things. Although she wears some unflattering mom jeans, which I think was very brave of her. But but we didn't know about mom jeans in the 80s. We didn't know. She actually goes over to her house to um And this is Cynthia's so sibling-like sibling to be sort – Anne is there and looking at her things and picking up – one thing that we we understand is that her husband, John, always brings the sister he's sleeping with a plant. Whenever they get together. And I guess, I don't know, that's their thing. But you see a lot of plants in this. There's a bathroom scene, not a bathroom scene, but uh, Annie yeah. is talking to her sister in one scene. You see all of these plants around oh, Annie's God. bathroom. And then you see them all around Cindy's, Cynthia's bathroom, or all over her house, rather. And I thought, I like this verger. What happened to that? <laughs> What's wrong with me? I'm going out. I'm going to the nursery this weekend. Damn it. I, I like that. Anyhow, he, he gives her a plant every time, and she's sort of picking up things that John, her husband, had given her sister before they have sex. And they're having snarky sister talk about yeah. things. Yeah, what what kind of snarky sister talk are well, they are, having? Is, is this where she asks, or where Annie says it's Mama's birthday, what are we going to get her? Okay. It's the, the, the Mama's birthday conversation. But that uh, also uh, in the middle of that conversation, Cynthia mentions, you know, as she's getting ready to leave or go to work or whatever, she's yeah. like, I can't find my pearl earring. Yes. Very important. Very important to know about this pearl earring. And uh, I guess uh, – and they have little 
you know, a little bitchy talk before about who's going to get the present. And finally, Annie says she'll get the present. That's the agreement. She's going to pay for half. Is she? She's and asking about Graham, too, isn't she? Like, what does he look like? What's yeah, it, she is. She's a curious. A, what's his phone number? He doesn't have a phone. Well, give me his address, and I'll, I'm going to find a reason to stop by. And Annie is reluctant because she she thinks her sister's just going to go after him, which she probably would. <laughs> but I guess she relents because there's a later scene where she does show up. You do wonder in the past, like, did they go after each other's boyfriends? Did there's something weird going on? Yeah, there? there's, 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 there's got to be history or backstory there. There has been some backstabbing in the back, I think. Oh, and by the way, we missed an important uh, beginning segment or vignette where uh, John, the husband, the philandering husband, is on the phone with another guy, and he's kind of spinning his wedding ring around in front of him and saying, I'm telling you, this is like a magnet. You get all kinds of yeah, offers, and it's just fantastic. So I wonder, has he been philandering the whole time with others as well? Oh, well, yeah, we find that out a little bit later. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it happened before he met Annie. So Okay. But he, he he was definitely uh, snooping around with other other folks, women. Yeah. I'll put it that way. And he has this very preppy way of expressing himself too, of the times, I guess. So then yeah. Annie goes to Graham's house, right? And yes, there are a lot she of does. there are a lot of sight gags that I don't even know how to that were very funny when you watched it back in the day. Like there's a running gag where he offers whoever comes in a drink, Annie. Uh, would you like some tea and I'm out of lemons or I'm out of ice or I'm out of tea. It's, but anyhow, there's always something missing. And then yeah. when he's out of tea, the, the, you see a bowl of lemons in the background. Like he can't have all three components at the same time, the tea, the ice. <laughs> it really is very funny and charming. I promise you <laughs> listeners, but it's one of those things that you have to see. And also there's a dartboard that moves around and you wonder why is it on that wall this time and this wall, the other and another wall in his house, and I really tried to see who was posted up there, but sort of magazine portraits, what you would see in a magazine that are torn out and kind of tacked to the wall. I'd read somewhere. There are some there's some lovely subtlety, I, th I think, in the whole composition yeah. of the film. Yeah. And whoever did the set design, probably Soderbergh himself, since he arranged everything, seemed very grounded and real and non-set-like. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly, in fact, sense. his apartment. Yeah. His apartment. I was living in Tallahassee when this and yeah. uh, going to school, and uh, his apartment reminded me reminded <laughs> me of our our house that we and and my housemates that rented, and 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 our friends too, like friends that uh, we would go over to their houses or their apartments and be like, oh, okay. I, I would totally take that apartment for <laughs> three hundred and fifty today. I would. <laughs> Just, oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Things were simple. We didn't have a lot of things. And, uh, but, but yes, but, she goes in and gets some iced tea. And while he's making it, I guess, she's rooting around around his television she, and his books and says, you need a bookcase. And then she says, oh, what are these? And it's a well, collection. We, we, we miss the whole part that he's actually having trying to have private time when she shows oh, up. To oh, her. yes. We don't see anything, but he's <laughs> clearly nude and watching one of these tapes. And she says something blithely like, I hope I'm not interrupting anything. And he says, that's OK. I can finish later, which gets a big laugh because 
Yes, it does. Self-service there. But he offers tea, and then she finds the um, the videotapes. And she, it doesn't dawn on her, though, does it, Sam? No, it doesn't. Sam. She, she Sam. sees uh, – I went out for a minute. Sorry. Um, you see the names. I can't remember, like Melissa, Jane, Carrie, whatever the names are on the videotapes. Who's Melissa? Who? And the more names she sees, the more you realize that she's like, oh, there are a lot of names here. <laughs> She asks him point blank, what are these? And he tells her point blank, I interview women um, talking about their sex lives. And she says, well, what, do you get off on that or some, something? And he says, yes. In very, you know, in a very understated, honest way. Very transparent about yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. And uh, I love the line. She goes, why, why are there so many women? And he goes, well, I enjoy interviewing women more than men. And I'm like, you yeah. go, baby, because yeah. that means he's interviewed men. Yeah. Well, there's I something love else, that. too, that's bendy. But, um, yeah, I, I like that, too. And I do think John says something about opposite gender as well. So even John uses language that, that we get the stamp of approval for. Mm, yeah. So it's it, go Steve. Go Steve. So she's got the glass of iced tea, and as he's explaining this to her, which he's filled generously filled with lovely ice cubes, yeah. he's like your your ice, your ice, and she she's just getting as she, as it's she's all incredulous, gone her. and so her her <laughs> cup is tipping, 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 and he's worried about that while she's, you know, expressing just incredulity, and so she I think just, I better go. I, I'm going to go now. And you see her leave, but you also see him right on the floor with a newspaper, like getting that stain up. She, he doesn't want anything. He's a tid tidy man, I think. Tidy in his little lawn furniture. <laughs> so off she goes. And I think, is this when we see her talking on the phone with, with her sister yes. and she's upset? And I, I actually, I love the way this is shot too, don't you? The I way do. they framed yes. Andy McDowell in this, this shot. Yes. Wait, wait! I'm mixing up two shots. I'm mixing one up where the sister has gone to visit him, and the one. How is she framed? Well, in she hasn't the first gone one? to. She hasn't gone to visit him yet. Yeah. The very next scene we see is the conversation by phone with between Annie and Cynthia. And and she's sort of hinting at she'd seen some tapes, and she won't tell. Uh, Sin exactly what the tapes are. She won't tell her. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And just like Mama, you know, so they're they're, you know, titting for tatting. Is that a phrase? Tit for tat. Yeah, and and she's going. You know, John was right. John was right. And there's something wrong He's with him. He's too weird. He's too weird. Yeah, it's just weird. And and then, but this has peaked. Yeah, uh, the, she's the last person you should say <laughs> these things to is Cynthia. <laughs> If she's freaked out, these things must be about sex. <laughs> so, um, so she she really wants in after she's she knows that Annie has been spooked. She goes right over to Graham's house. She does. I I, I love the way that whole interaction that it is. Uh, they have great chemistry, by the way. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, James Spader doesn't have great chemistry with Annie McDowell. I think I think he has wonderful chemistry, but yeah. I really 
like the chemistry between he and Laura Sanji and Giancomo. I, I like the way she enters, too. This is so south, too. You know, <laughs> you, you usually wait. You knock on the door, then somebody opens it, but she does the, hey, anyone home kind of thing. And he he looks genuinely miffed. You know, who are you? Why why are you here? <laughs> and He's definitely perplexed. He's yeah. like... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're her sister? Okay, I got that. But why? What? Still, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here again? And she just said that when he when she says I'm Anne's, Annie's sister, he says, oh, the extrovert, because Anne said something about her sister at, at the dinner they had had with, with the strawberries. Because I'm surprised she didn't say it was loud. And she, she also sees... She she says I needed to find out what what got Anne so spooked, and she does see the videotapes and goes. Everyone mills about everybody's apartment, right? Snooping, snooping, and she sees the tapes and all the names, and she says, "Oh, these must have to do with sex. If, if you got Anne spooked, are these women you slept with?" And he tells her, "No, I I didn't sleep with them," and tells her the same deal, right? I like to record women. Then he well, immediately invites her. Well, she she looks at it and she's oh I think I'm figuring it out. <laughs> she, first he offers uh, iced tea. Yes, I love that. So he gets up and he says something. I forget what he says, but I love the uh, he throws the dart. Not even looking, right? Just throws the dart. You know that like landed a bullseye or something. Yeah, yes. And that dartboard <laughs> keeps moving around with a bullseye. So he's he's got his bullseye. Again, great physical – you know how we are about physical acting, and it's just uh, the way he um, embodies that and just gets up and nonchalantly throws the dart in the dartboard. I love yeah. that. Yeah, and, and so she says, well, how do we do this? I'll, I'll do it. What, first she says, what makes you think I would do that? But he sized her up and heard her about her enough, and um, he says, well, do you? <laughs> And she said, yes. And she seems very indignant and slightly defensive. Do I sit or do I stand? I prefer to stand. <laughs> Just, <laughs> But she ends up on this big, one, another gobble couch, one of these couches that just sort of consume you. He asks her very pointed questions, like, what was your first sexual experience? And she says she was eight. And I'll, you know. I want to watch you pee and you watch me pee and that sort of thing. And then when she was 14 was her first real sexual experience. And you're uncomfortable she watching it to look this, like right? a t I expected to look it to look like a test tube, <laughs> not anything. <laughs> I didn't expect the veins and, and you know, edges and things. So I, I like I, the way she describes that because I think that's how many a young woman thinks. And you would think at first um, – See, I don't know how that would play today when she talks about her first sexual experience. She's eight years old. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know how that would play today. Now, it's innocent enough because she's like, oh, the first first where like we're actually like identifying we have different equipment down there. Um, yeah, we were. I was going to share the whole peeing experience outdoors with a friend of yeah. <laughs> that's this boy. But he took off because he got scared. You know, the doctor experience, which yeah. is not in itself creepy or unhealthy and is completely normal, right? It, it is completely normal, but everybody overanalyzes and, today. I think the show me, show me is pretty normal. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty normal. But then she shares later, yeah, my first experience is when I was 14. Yeah. So. I think that's about par. 
and yeah. you're uncomfortable because he's and he's speaking very softly and she says something very very toward the end of this um the talking part anyhow says something very telling she asks graham do you think i'm pretty i i kind of got sad i felt yeah. sad so all of her bravado and sexuality and you know overt sexualism all of that is out the window because she looks very damaged there very insecure very vulnerable and we realize that as he's watching this or this is not her being filmed this this is actually he's watching the playback of the tape and he starts to weep and that's right he's in position to you know be in a pleasurable situation but he can't with this because it's sad i don't think it was you know she asks about am i am i as pretty as as Anne, I think the first time I saw this movie, Sam, I thought, oh, he's emotionally feels emotionally connected to Anne, and I realize now that whole scene is he is connected to that emotional vulnerability. He's touched by what yeah. she's shared yeah. with him because she not That's only says, "Am I pretty?" She says, "Am I prettier than Anne?" And he yeah. says, "Different," which is really the only correct answer. I don't know if it's the playback or the real time of, of uh, the Cynthia character says, do you want me to take my skirt off? And he says, do you want to? And she says, yes. And he observes that she's not wearing any underwear. <laughs> and so we're, we're not showing anything explicit, but you get the idea that she performed for him. He doesn't touch his subjects at all. He asks questions and they do what they want. Now, when she exits Graham's apartment, it's there. No words are spoken, but she gives him a very touching look, like they just had a very intimate experience. Very intimate experience. As she's leaving, it's sort of a. She even says something. She's like later. Cynthia is not the kind of woman that that uh, is a pushover for any man, even mm-hmm. John. Mm-hmm. And she reminds him in the scenes where she's with John. It's it's pretty. You know, yeah. should I she leave? Snaps should I, her she's kind of calling the shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she has him running out of his office any time of day. To, to come well, that's what – that's over. the next thing that happens. Because she is super turned on and nowhere to put this, right? So she has John cancel a very important appointment that's going to come back and bite him in the balls. I like the way this is shot, the sort of après sex shot. He says you were on fire. But it's shot so that they're they're lying down, but the film – stock is vertical instead so they're lying down but they but the film is upright they're all sweaty and they seem really sweaty it doesn't seem glossy hollywood sweaty seems grunge and down to the ground sweaty are you saying they had sex no i didn't (laughs) i'm not suggesting it was not simulated simulated sex but uh i just felt like it's hot it's the south there are only window units it's not like our little, you know, coffins of pleasure that we have these days. And and yes, they no, were working he, up a sweat for there's that part. But. He goes, he says to her, he says, you're on fire. Anne is walking into uh, some questionable neighborhood, but it's actually, we find out it's where the bar is that, that Cynthia works. That's where the mom pants are shown in full profile walking shot. If they don't look good on Andy McDowell, who's a knockout, Nobody should be wearing those. She walks into the bar. Oh, it's a it's like a dive bar. A dive That's dive bar. Like a, and there's a lovable yeah. bar fly kind of guy who was 
a, a running gag in this every time we see her in the bar. Oh, look, you're wearing red. I'm wearing red, too. What are the chances <laughs> this is meant what to be? And she and shows her sister the dress that she bought their mother for her birthday. And Cynthia insults it and says it looks like a tablecloth. And that she wouldn't want to wear a sundress at her age with all of her sunspots and varicose veins. And Annie is, is insulted and said, well, you, well, Missy, you too are going to have sunspots and varicose veins one day. So shut up. <laughs> Barfly walks over and says, that's beautiful. Looks like a tablecloth. So he's the comic <laughs> relief. He reminds yeah. me of somebody. His name is Stephen Brill, Barfly, an American actor, film producer, director, and screenwriter. He wrote Little Nicky, directed Mr. Deeds, Without a Paddle, Heavyweights, and Drillbit Taylor. I don't know these. He's a cameo role in Mighty Ducks, appeared in The Wedding Singer. Mr. He was the writer for Mighty Ducks and the sequel. Laugh all you want, but Mighty Ducks actually was a very successful uh, franchise for Disney. Was it? Was it? I, yeah. I always, I've never seen it. I always wondered if it was sort of a Bad News Bears, the original I'd like to do. Postcards from the Edge. Well, where was he in that? I wonder. He was, uh, the, his role was as assistant director. Okay. I didn't recognize, I guess he had, I didn't pay much attention in that. And I love that movie. He was in Edward Scissorhands. He was dish, Dishwasher Man in Edward Scissorhands. Okay. You know, that fine line between being, okay, ha-ha, the barfly lines. But he sells it very well, so he's endearing, I think, in this yeah. film. No, no, he's great. Mighty Ducks, very, very successful franchise for Disney. She gets a phone call at the bar, the Cynthia character, while her sister's there. And I love her little phone booth area because you can see all the albums there, so I guess she spins records while attending bar and doing everything else. Mm. And it's John. And yeah. she very cynically says, your, your wife's here. Would you like to talk to her? I think she's finished with John by this point. The next time they encounter each other. Yeah. She is. She is. The, that experience with Graham awakens something in her. Yeah. They, they kind of clash, she and Annie, over, you know, it's a tablecloth. No, it's fine. And she gives her the money for it. Can I tell you two factoids? Sure. All right, so I put a little um, a little uh, clarion call out um, because a couple of my Facebook friends and and that have become friends are from Louisiana, and in particular one uh, grew up and still lives in Baton Rouge. And I said, give me a couple of factoids about Baton Rouge. His name's um, Chris, and he says, first, I was living one house over from the one that was used on the set. Second, I was oh, that's yeah, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And secondly, I was sitting on the front steps when a crew member approached me. I thought this was my big break. I'm going to be in this movie. <laughs> he asked me for a jar or a can because one of the trucks was leaking gasoline. He was saddened by that, I guess. <laughs> and then he also writes, also pay attention to the way plants are used in the film as a symbol of fertility. I think we noted the plants, but I didn't piece together, oh, yeah, fertility. Fertility, though. Hmm. Because there are no, there there are no babies. <laughs> there are no babies. Th oh, that's interesting no too. Because don't John and um, Anne seem like they've been married at least long enough to be in a family way? If that had been a goal. Um, I'm thinking at least three to five years they've been married. Maybe not five. Maybe three. And she they seems like, like the sort of traditional person who would want 
to do that, right? You would think. One would think. So that's interesting. Because she's so de- deferential to John and everything. John, I mean, that's kind of coming up right now. Well, everybody is sort of being dampened down by John, right? And the sisters being dampened down by John and the, and her own sister and her own demons. But both sisters have all of these vibrant plants. I'm just running with whatever this guy said. <laughs> so um, that's, that's, you know, thriving but they're not finding that yet. Not that it has to be children. It can be love. It can be whatever. Gar- yeah, gardens that not unrealized in, yeah. in their potential. Yeah. You know, flourishing, a vibrancy. Sprawling plants, too. And even on the second sister call, after I love this sister call, when Anne is sitting crouched up on the side of her bathtub because like there's like a window seat there and you see all of her plants, and she's talking to her sister, Cynthia, who is potting or repotting a plant and has I the biggest, thickest gla- lenses I've ever seen on a pair of glasses. I didn't see her wearing glasses before. Nice touch Yeah. to deepen the character, I thought. Yeah, and confessing that she did one of these videotapes for Graham. And it's just such a wonderful reaction from Annie. She's like, no, you didn't. <gasps> You're in trouble. You know, just <laughs> like two little Go siblings. right back to like, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And I like that scene, too, because even though she's it, it, it's the first time we kind of really get a, a an insight that they even though there is that competition or something stripped there's, there's down, they love each baggage, other, They're sisters deep down, they really do love each other. Yeah. Um, and, and then we're kind of like putting John off and yeah. uh, doesn't really want to get together with him. She even, even though she teases Anne about her choice for a present, she gives her the money, and she yeah. goes, I'm sure she'll love it. Yes. And then later that night – Wait, wait. First of all, I like something in that phone call. Cynthia's teasing her sister, like not giving enough information, and Anne is trying to pull information out, out of her. She, said, she says, did, did he touch you? No. Did you touch him? <laughs> no. Big pause. Did anybody do any touching? (laughs) Did did anybody touch anybody? (laughs) And you can see Cynthia laughing to herself because she knows her sister so well. And she says, yes. (gasps) You know, she's shocking her sister. It's later that night and just kind of wakes up and she confronts John. And she goes, I think you're having an affair. Yes. And he gaslights the hell out of her. Is this paranoia? I'm the one who should be feeling like you're having an affair. He's mirroring everything back to her. Hmm. And she says, are you lying to me? Because I'd I'd be upset if you were doing this, but I I can't tell you how upset I'd be if you were lying to me. It's always the gentle woman, no matter what she says. And he says, I'm not lying. And she says, then why don't I believe you? And I love that line. That shows me that mm. her intuition. This is before, he. He stupidly says, "Do you have any evidence?" You know, being the lawyer. But she says, "Then why don't I believe you?" It's an impossible question to answer, but it's also a very telling question. I don't believe you because you're not telling the truth. Is, is what it means. And she. And then he. D- he plays the lawyer. Yeah. Yes, Your Honor, this man is absolutely guilty, and yet there's no proof. And she goes, oh, yeah, we're all always the lawyer. And he's like, of course. He, 
He's indignant and he defends himself. Of course. And he, but he's sweating too. And he says, I'm not fucking her. And I don't find her that attractive anyhow. And she says, is that supposed to comfort me that you don't find well, that, her? You know, that, that comes out of left field though. Yeah. And it kind of, he, he, he's good though. He puts up his poker face. Yeah. He says, uh, I worked hard all sister. day and I look so look forward to coming home to you. And then she yeah, does the, something that makes me cringe. Oh yeah, but I, I'm still stuck that she's accusing him of having an affair, and then she meant, and and then she's like, "Well, my sister for one, you know, because I mm. guess it's been obvious to her that the flirtation, yes. right, that yeah. she sees coming from from yes. Cynthia towards John. Yes, and then that kind of, but he he keeps his poker face. He does, and, and he even says, you know, I'm the one who should be worried. You don't ever want to have sex with me, and you know." treat me like I'm dipped in shit yeah so he he does and and she says you never used to talk like that before and and there's a telltale sign like picking up language that he doesn't usually use like fuck and rooting for her right like okay yeah yeah, Anne is going to step up for herself but she decides to believe him and starts giggling and goes oh like grateful and runs back to bed and cuddles up into his shoulder and says I just don't know what's wrong with me I have all this time on my hands that I invent these elaborate scenarios and I'm so sorry and ends up apologizing to him I just you know worry about all those starving children and and I just an excuses for him she does you know he's got her so snowballed or gaslit that she's making excuses for him and then you're throwing the therapy in there too so he can say he doesn't actually say the words but she says i don't know if the therapy's helping and he says something elusive like well i wouldn't quit the therapy um you know she says something like i'm i have look at me obsessing over my little problems which are actually big problems when they're starving children in ethiopia and he says, I wouldn't quit the therapy. That's not going to save the children. But so <laughs> what are her problems? Because we, we kind of glanced, you know, glanced or glossed over a little bit. What are Anne's problems? She's like, living with a pathological liar but has no proof. And so it's making her crazy and making her think there's something wrong and she can't prove it. And that there's nothing that will make you crazier than knowing something but having no evidence. Well, she's just not self-aware of how gullible she's allowing herself to be. Particularly with this world-wise sister. But I guess, you know, it's not in the sister's best interest. She she has this hang-up about her own sister. But I think they banged it out later. They don't show it. And she's sexually repressed. Yes. That she's not she's not dealing with that at all. She has issues with sex. She has issues with emotional intimacy. Yes. But not uh, with Graham because she asks that, tell me something personal. And, and not with her sister, honestly. Yeah. There is an unhealthy, I like that carryover from childhood. But I think it's her natural and, um, fear of touching something dirty. And John is dirty. He's a liar. He's fooling around with her sister, of all people. And he's not who he's... So she's... In her yeah, she's way, not trusting her instincts. And, but she also is maybe subconsciously doesn't want her to him to touch her either because of all of this. That that's what I mean. She if she trusted her instincts, yeah. what her gut feelings were, 
Why doesn't she want him to touch her? Well, she should listen to that little voice inside of her. Yeah. Yeah. And then open her eyes and see what what's really going on. Yeah. But, uh, and John. Yeah. John comes over there from work. <laughs> I like this fight, by the wow, way. Wow. No, and no. It's he, great. He, uh, the, he, she says, it, it starts in the middle of the fight, right? Like, you went over to see Graham? What do you mean? Why did you do that? And then she also make one of these tapes because I think she tells him about them. Yeah, she does. He doesn't know about the tapes. Yeah. And she tells him about the tapes. And that's kind of how we walk into the middle of the conversation. Yeah. The, that next scene, like you said. And, and, and just tell his, me his, his incredulity. He's a fine actor because I believe his <laughs> astonishment. You know? Peter Gallagher has been in a lot of stuff he, and he didn't yeah. always play the bad guy. No, he I like him. I You know who I get him mixed up with is Billy Zane, the guy in Titanic who was the baddie. Yeah. No, he, yeah, he's. Well, he plays the love interest in uh, Frankie, Frankie and Grace, the young love interest. Oh, okay. For, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I uh, believe she admits that she's done one of these videos for him. And then he gets all this lawyer talk, and they're like, did you sign anything, some sort of contract to say that he won't send it to anybody else? And she just laughs at him. And then he says... Uh, something like, well, are we going to do something? And she says, no, I don't think so. But but she's finished with him. Yeah, she's like, no, I'm not feeling it. Yeah. And, I, you know, not today. And probably not, you know, sort of indefinitely. Yeah. We're not, we're not doing this anymore. And when he says, maybe I want to talk, she's, she shoots back, we've never had anything to talk about. We don't do yeah. that. We don't have any connection. This is one it's, thing only. <laughs> yeah, that there you go. And uh, uh, it, it is funny that he and Anne both say the same thing. Uh, when Anne's having that 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 conversation on the telephone after Cynthia tells her what she did, she said, "How do you know he's not bouncing it off some satellite somewhere? Some, some perverse old, old man in Brazil, old man in in, in <laughs> Brazil or Russia, wherever it is." <laughs> and he. He kind of says the same. He could be showing it to anybody. Oh, 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 and that's the big line in their fight, too, between Cynthia and John. She says he could be doing this stuff, and she says, I trust him. Trust him a hell of a lot more than I trust you. Yeah, I love that line. And boy, he's shocked by that. Mm. Where she's cleaning. Manic it, it cleaning. It is classic type A, perfect southern woman. Scrubbing, scrubbing the chrome, house. bright and mirror-like, and just cleaning everything. And then she has a vacuum cleaner, and she's vacuuming the carpet in their bedroom, and just under the bed, here's clink, 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 like something got caught in the in the motor or the little rotor things on the on the vacuum cleaner. You know, and, like you do. Like you do. Like I do every single time something has you to happen. Usually you can't just vacuum. You a piece and of cat poop or something. You, you, you've <laughs> got to stop it at some point because you can't just vacuum your house and be done with it. And she turns it over, and lo, there is – the pearl and gold earring that her sister said yeah. she lost. Yeah. And this is some great acting, isn't it? That I thought it was up. really great acting. You you see the full flush of realization in every, you know, pore of her skin, in her eyes, the way they prick. They seem to prick with, you know, unfallen tears. I mean, that is a special piece of acting, I think. It is. You see, uh, 
vindication and also vindication I knew it, you know. Yeah. And then how dare he and, and they in our bed, you know. And she she sits in the she's even when she gets into the car she can't even go she's like that's when she kind of tears up, and I think this was Andy McDowell's first major, first big break right it was her big role. Well, she was in Tarzan and they Tarzan Tarzan the Greystoke version and I like I said before they dubbed over her lines with Meryl Streep doing the line and, and L'Oreal Girl forever, and her films um, were Groundhog Day. I've never seen that. Shortcuts, which oh. I have seen, and it's one of my very favorite films. I think it was uh, Robert Altman's last film. She four, is great four in four Groundhog Weddings Day. Of, oh, this is much later, Four, four Weddings of yeah. Um It's kind of like she made this film, and then I, you don't you don't see or hear from her for a while. <laughs> and then yeah. in the 90s, she, she sort of has this renaissance of, like, at Renaissance in her 30s, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she, she was in St. Almost Fire, too, so that was 85. That, that is true, but it was a kind of a small small role. Too. I know. When we talked about this before, I couldn't remember her at all. She was just there to be a pretty face for Emilio Estevez to obsess over. Yes. A doctor. And to be the unobtainable, unrequited. Yeah. Yes. But a uh, big hit between um, – Four Weddings and a Funeral, which is one of my all-time favorite like wedding movies, and it, it is a favorite film of mine. But uh, Groundhog Day is wonderful. You know what? I've <laughs> always heard movie. that. I don't, and I love uh, Bill Murray, and I've just never seen that. I, it's I, a great I need movie. to go back to the future. Um, so mind, she shows up at Graham's. She she takes off her clothes, and I think she's going to do the self-love thing at first, and I'm a little bit upset about that. Like She's just down. changing her clothes. She's just getting into something comfy, and I like the little 80s touches that are normal, like the bandana uh, to tie her. She has long, beautiful, if you know Andy McDowell, she's known for her beautiful locks of hair, and she has it tied back with a red bandana, and I like that. I, I made a mental note when I was watching it the second time that uh, – they're wear, wearing basically a limited ad. Yes. Remember the limited? <laughs> <laughs> they are attired in the They're limited. Basic. The she ladies. bought her whole wardrobe there, and it's the ca- you know T-length dresses and things like that. Yep. Yep. And she goes right over to to Graham's house, and he's in the kitchen. And this time he's out of iced tea, and says, "I'm out of. Tea. Would you like something to drink? Drink running joke, right? Out of something." And you see the lemons in the bowl in the background. Guys, you have to watch it because it's funny and beautiful. But um, (laughs) she gets a glass of water. She's very upset. And she says, John has been having an affair with my sister or something like that. And he says, I know. Yeah. Well, she's not pleased about that. She feels betrayed by everyone now. But, to you know, it isn't his business. And she it's just like when you say it, yeah, it's not my place. It's not my place to say it. But she doesn't know what to do with this anger, and she doesn't quite know how to do revenge sex. So the the thing she can think of is let's make a videotape. Let's let's make one of your videotapes. And he says at first, no, and she you know can't believe it. No, and he says I don't think that this is a decision you'd make in in the right frame of mind. Yeah, I like the fact that he's respectful he's enough to say, you're not in the frame of mind to make a, a videotape right now. So and, I'm not doing it. But she pushes, and he says, she says, what's involved? And he says, I point the camera at you, turn it on. 
he says you're not in the right frame of mind, and she said, and she basically just asks him, and what would you know about being in the right frame of mind or a normal frame of mind? That's right, normal, <laughs> and he concedes, but I'm still thinking that's a a way out, you know, to get what you want, but but I, I like him, so I'll go with it. He says, you, you know, sort of shrugs and says, you know, touche. What would I know about normal? And she just sits on a kind of stool, a high chair, right? Not a high chair. But, and he's sitting on the floor casually, and she's up on her chair. She does ask him, like, where do you get the money? And and any this is luck. interesting to me. He, he doesn't answer this question. I mean, he probably literally does have it under his mattress. He says, under my mattress. And she says, what's, what's going to happen when you run out? And he says, it won't. So I think he's a trust fund baby by this time. Oh, yeah, I think that was definitely He went yeah. to a posh school, right, with John. Yeah, I don't have to worry about money. That's the one thing I don't have to worry about in my life is money. Yeah. Maybe he's just free of it all, you know, that, that uh, it, it could – you could read it either way. You could, I think. In other words, I'll, I'll if when it runs out, I guess I'll go do something to make more money. <laughs> you yeah, know? but but she's definitely turned the tables, and she's asking more. But we don't see it yet because this is sort of truncated until we get a playback scene, right? As Soderbergh likes to do, he just kind of like flips the the uh, the continuity around, yeah. and then the next thing you know is it's later, and she's. Yeah. Uh, John is in his house, and he's calling and trying to find out where she is because yeah. she's not there yet. Yeah. She walks she's not in home yet. Yeah, he's worried. Where is she? It's, it's nighttime. She walks in despondently, sits down on the couch, and he says, thank God you're home and seems genuinely worried. And all she responds is, I want out of this marriage. Yeah. yeah. Very cold, very determined. And he must know in his little reptile brain that she has found evidence or – Probably he thinks that Cynthia has told him, or maybe she doesn't know how. He doesn't know where to put his anger. He says something like, well, I think a lot of women would want a fairly attractive straight man who makes a lot of money. You know, this, God, you're lucky to have me kind of line. And that doesn't help him. <laughs> She's not going to quibble about it. She has evidence that's the ultimate betrayal for her. And she did warn him that she'd be upset, but she'd be more upset if he lied to her. She doesn't even have to say. She doesn't need to defend anything. She knows she's yeah, right. Yeah. He knows she's right. Yeah, and he kind of capitulates. He says, that. will you at least tell me where you've been? And this is when he gets all – he goes crazy, she says, at Graham's. And, and he's already been irritated by Graham because he's different and also his sideline his mistress has done one of these tapes and he he says of course like he's going to direct all of his his wrongdoing at Graham now that backstabbing MNFer yeah so so he thinks <laughs> Graham has let her in on this this sort of liaison and he he gets he said you didn't make one of these Damn. He's nose to nose to her. He, she winces. Please tell me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, he's like, I'm going to punch you. That almost I'm going to hit you um, thing. He's he's very physically aggressive. Yeah. And, and she does that wincing thing like, don't hit me, um, but doesn't put her hands up, which is a very – what a lot of passive women do in that situation, I think. Um, just wince and hope that you aren't going to be struck. So he's violent, and 
he goes crash instead of dealing with this he goes storming off to graham's house he set talks about what he's going to do to him and she goes don't don't touch him don't you lay a hand on him yeah the y'all you see are car lights coming up through graham's uh, the front of graham's walk and that's the first thing he does he just wails into yeah. into graham doesn't even know what's going on and graham, he, he awakens graham is asleep and he awakens yeah. to this man john in his house and john just punches him right right when he walks out and then he sees the videotapes and he sort of by the seat of his pants tosses him out of his own house and and graham just sits there on his stoop on his porch stoop um while john has locked him out of his house and john looks over at the videotapes and he picks up two one says cynthia and one says Anne, and and puts the am one at least he put the am one and and he's looking at this and probably seeing his wife in this way for the first time ever in this frank open equal way speaking very plainly about things so he's watching the preliminary part of the videotape and then he thinks that graham is going to make a move at some point and so he whispers ah here we go but it isn't what he thinks at all Anne takes the video doesn't she she yeah, grabs she the, the video what is it called the video camera and starts the handy cam the, the handy cam is there a jvc i didn't notice those were all the rage i know that he, the first thing Graham says is, "Have that as they're going back and forth, he's like, have you, have you, he, she's like, what do we talk about? And he says, sex. You know, that's mm -hmm. what I generally have yeah. people do. And one of the questions he asks her is, have you thought about having sex with someone other than your husband? And that's when he, he oh, goes, here we go, here, here we, we go, go. here we go. He's going to make his move. So yeah. He thinks the worst of Graham. And... She says yes, and then she reveals that she, that her whole M.O. in life is the same as her sister's, basically. They're very much alike, in that she wants to be the opposite of her sister, and her sister right. has already admitted and shown that she wants to be the opposite of Anne. She says, because that's how Cynthia thinks. I hate it when I feel have feelings that she has. It bothers me when I think about men, because I know that's the way she thinks. Yes. So her entire, both of their identities, that's interesting. Both of and these sisters' admits. identities are completely tied up in one another's. Yeah, and she says – and he asks, what other men have you thought about? And she says, I thought about you. And then she says, did you think about me? And that's a very intimate, sweet way they say that um, because she says, I thought about you. Did you think about me? So very honest, and he says yes. And – how does she change tax though? She gets angry and says, "What do you think Elizabeth would think of your little hobby here?" Yeah, we don't need to get into the <clears throat> the very intimate uh, sort of um, scintillating sort of simmering exchange between yeah. the two of them. But uh, <clears throat> she she get, grabs the cam. I'm trying to think of why she grabs the camera. I think because she's asking him too many questions back. It's not the usual <clears throat> situation where he asks the woman questions, and that's his tape. She wants a conversation, not just this video thing. You know what it is. She asks him about whether or not he can perform for a woman, pleasure a woman without uh, – being able to have oh, that's right. She, he asks yeah. her 
um, do you get pleasure? Have you ever had a, a, from from sex? And it's revealed that she doesn't think she's ever had an orgasm. And she asks in right. this very naive way, "Can you do that for me? Can mm-hmm. are you able to give you know, provide? Yeah, are you experience? able to provide me Can with you give an, orgasm? Me an orgasm?" And he says, "Yes." And she says, "Will you do that?" And then it gets heated, I think, because he says it's not supposed to work like this, and and he's having feelings. He says no, and and the the way he it's worded is is she's like, "Why not?" He goes, "Because I can't," and she says, "Can't or won't?" I can't because I won't. Yeah. So in other words, you know, I could, but I've decided I'm not. And, and I, there's some. I won't do it. There's some exchange that ends up with him saying it's really none of your concern anyhow, but she lets him have it and says everybody you come in contact with is affected by you. It is my business. The the dialogue is so uh, the it's sort of it's very simple, but it's also very complex. Yeah. This dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. But the the one thing when she does pick up the camera and she does point out to him, you know, like why are you doing this? Yeah. First of all, she asks him, why, why are you doing this? And he brings up Elizabeth, doesn't yeah, he? He does, and that's when she says, "Do you think Elizabeth, what, what do you think Elizabeth would, would think of these videotapes? Or is it because you're, cause he, he claims he never lies now, or do you think that um, – or would you lie to her too? Or are you going to tell her – because you're, you don't lie, right? So you tell her about all these, and he says he doesn't know what he would do. The, the gist of it is – she turns the tables on him. She picks up the camera. He does not like having the camera on him, examining he, him. He's like an animal trying to run away that's cornered when she picks up the camera. Like, nope, 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 right. I don't like this. Nope, nope, I don't like having the camera on me. And he says it's impossible to explain who I am now. And, but he does reveal, and this is where I wanted to ask your opinion. Um, she says something like, why are you like this? This uh, Apparently nine years have gone by. He's been doing this for nine years practicing abstinence but doing these little videos and he I don't says think it's abstinence i think he's genuinely impotent that was one of the, that was the big mystery to me what did you think about the impotency what what once this scene came up because he had used a very specific word impotent which means you can't but yes. he also says i can't because i won't about something else so i wonder if he can't because he won't also, in, like, has he tried? Well, I don't know. Well, there, there are ways to – well, yeah. And he can get aroused, right? He has these videotapes, that, so he's not impotent. That is true, but he, he shares with her over lunch. He's like, I can't become aroused with someone, with another human being yeah. in front of me, like yeah. physically in front of me. I yeah. can't. Now, what would cause that? I mean, just being so self-conscious? Well, he goes into an explanation. He says, there's a part of me that was really horrible, and I was not myself. What is the word he uses? We've never done this in an episode before. What? Thank you, Steven Soderbergh. Here's the word. Uh, you said you weren't always impotent. No, yeah, that's correct. So you've, you have had sex, yes. So what happened? Was it so bad it turned you off? Or he's yeah. like, no, that wasn't the problem. What was the problem? I was the problem. I was a, I was a pathological liar. Yeah. Uh, he does not like liars, and that's one of the things that he detests about John. He begs him for a liar right away. Yeah. 
and that he's lying in his marriage. He, like, picks up on that right away. Yeah. But he says a word after that. What is that? Um, he said lying is like alcoholism. You're continually recovering. So that's but it. But he also you says lie. I scared people who were close to me. It says that was part of it. So what else happened? Well, at the time, I uh, I used to express my feelings that's non-verbally. It. Non-verbally. And it often scared people. That's the word I was looking for. What does that mean? Did he abuse? Because we see in John that he almost hit his wife. And he's cheating on her. But hitting is a whole other level, right? Did he get did he have anger management problems to the point where he was hurting people? Because he says I would, I was making people who were close to me afraid. There are lots of fucked up ways people can express themselves nonverbally that don't involve violence necessarily. Or was he like John and just that would, unfaithful? He doesn't. He never really divulges what his problem. Is other than he said I was a pathological liar. But we get was that he dealing with mental th- illness? Well, he does say it's like she says, "Are you a liar now? Still a pathological liar?" And he says, "No." And then he says, "Yes." He he says it's like alcoholism. Yeah. It's continuous recovery. Yes. She softens, then, and he softens. She's like, "You got a problem." <laughs> I could, maybe I could help you with your problem. Yeah. The one thing he says is, my my problems are are mine. They're, yes, I have problems, but they're my problems. And that's when she disagrees I, and counters with no. She says, yeah, I love what she her counter with that. Everybody who walks in that door is now your problem, and there and you're their problem too. I'm leaving my husband. I might have left him anyhow. But a large part of that had to do with your influence on him. He's changed Cynthia's. We don't go into that again, but he certainly changed Cynthia's views. We know he's changed John's views. We, we all have problems. Yeah. So you don't need to isolate yourself. But also and he you, doesn't live you, in a vacuum. He does affect other people. He seems to think that by having these videotapes that he's sort of protecting and, and, and not – He's not harming anybody. That's how he looks at it. Yeah. So has and, he harmed not, somebody? That's what I wanted to ask you. It sounds like it. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced either way. I could see that that's immediately where it went, that maybe he had a, maybe a violent temper, an anger management issue. And, and remember, as we're talking about this, that this is John watching the playback and – and Graham is on his porch, and he's listening to the playback, too. He can hear John watching this. So he, he knows how that's going to end. And it's also probably a good time to mention that he still has his last real relationship. He has this woman on a pedestal. He says he came back to Baton Rouge. Well, he doesn't say Baton Rouge, or I would have known that. They were in Baton Rouge. But he says he came back for closure. That was kind of mysterious to me. Who is the she? What did that phrase refer to? Yeah, that's right. There's a mess up. He has a Freudian slip when he's talking to her. He says, when you and she were talking and, and Andy McDowell says, she? What do you mean she? Why would you say that when we're talking mm. in the first per- – you know, that's that was a weird slip up. So he has – he's he's so cool and collected and careful of himself, but she's making him open up those boundaries. Like you said. There's a lot more to uh, – decode in this film yeah 
and uh but yeah that that one part always kind of like stuck with me about the the mess up the yeah. verbal yeah and uh, go ahead i and she does set the camera down and he's sitting i think on the is he sitting on the arm of, of the couch or something yeah and she initiates something and she does not initiate so this is also a breakthrough for her and she sort of gently she takes his hand and puts it on her face like this is tactile now he's moved by this and then she pushes him gently so he's in a lying down position on the couch facing up kisses him and at first he seems to be passive and non-receptive to this but mm. then he is receptive but and then this he walk but he stops it right walks over to the camera and turns it off and you get the snow back to john standing there who who watched the film the whole way or the video the whole way through yeah and he walks outside and he goes you know elizabeth <laughs> he goes i slept with elizabeth i slept with her even long before you guys even had problems mm. because i didn't want to say it to you before you know years before because i knew it would crush you you know crush you but now <laughs> yeah now i'm just gonna lay that out there yeah so she was no saint but i think that was also he didn't know it because he's mad at his friend graham ex-friend graham but he also gives graham, graham a gift by saying that because now he can like go over she goes down to see her sister and this is good acting on laura san giacomo's part i think because she is not saying much at all She's speaking volumes with her eyes. She's very remorseful. And Anne comes by because it's her birthday and brings her what? A plant. Yes. So the, the plants again. Yeah. I love this. Everybody who, who knows me, you're getting a plant for your next occasion, birthday, Christmas. Did he say I fucked Elizabeth? Yes. Okay. Because before you broke up, before you were having trouble even, she's no saint. She was good in bed. Yeah. God, John's an asshole. He's he's awful. He said you, she could keep a secret. Yes. Which is an interesting line because uh, keeping a secret mm -hmm. is that's the same as lying. Yeah, we missed the whole uh, the whole interaction with John before before uh, Anne goes down to see her sister. And John John's whole he's getting karma is coming back down on him. Do you mean in his office when he's talking to yeah. his colleague? Yeah, yeah. His yeah. fucking around basically gets him in trouble. Yeah. So he has a very big <clears throat> possible client whose name I forgot, but he's courting him throughout this. But he keeps canceling to go have these rendezvous with Cynthia. And he's trying to rationalize how he, you know, she'll be sorry and he'll be okay. As a junior partner, he lost his first big client. So blew that. He lost and that his he's client. And, and also the whoever is handling the phones keeps buzzing in and saying, Mr. We think the senior partner at this law firm wants to see you now, not in a few minutes, yeah. now. So yeah. he, we gather he's probably going to be axed. They lost this yeah. big – he lost this big important account. He's been fucking off. He keeps canceling and, and just not being in the office. So I think his career is, is gone. His wife is gone. His he's gonna have mistress to start is gone. Oh, he'll he'll get another job, and he'll probably make partner again someday with some other firm. But yeah, he's gonna have to own up to his mistakes and yeah. and start over again. Yeah.
going back to that bar scene where Anne brings the. It is a plant, by the plant. way. I, okay, I, I just thought it love was... the whole. You know what confused us is. What? <laughs> she the brings dress? a plant. Nice plant. Looks like a tablecloth. That's right. <laughs> the tablecloth our, our, joke keeps coming. He's he's lovely. Our daytime bar bar drinker, flirt. bar drinker, daytime day drinker. We gather from this small exchange that, you know, everything is out in the open. But yes, finally, this is a gesture for Anne to come by and bring a gift for her b- birthday. She's not going to let go of her sister. The first time we see them in the bar where she comes to visit her in yeah. the bar, she's like, I can never get a hold. You get an answering machine. I can't get a hold of you. She goes, you could call me at work. Yeah. And I forget what the excuse was why she doesn't call her at work. But the, the exchange of the phone number, like here, call me here. Mm-hmm. Just don't call between three and five because or five and whatever because that's my busy time. So she's They're, gone from housewife to working woman. We get that. We yeah, and that she's, she's busy. The sisters are trying to evolve in their relationship. So she's transitioned so, into you know from being this kept gilded cage person to working. We gather that, and then we get a lovely the happy ending, right? She's at the bar, but then she drives home, and it's that duplex where Graham is, and he sits down. He's sitting on the steps. She sits down with him, and they're an item now. I still, I'm stuck on Graham though. I'm stuck on his impotency. I don't think if he's having experiences. I think when you're impotent, you don't, you can't uh, do, achieve. Do you rest. think they? Do you think they had sex? I don't think they did. I think he is impotent. I don't think – and I don't know what caused oh, it. Oh, you're wondering if Anne and he did after he turned off the – Not at that – maybe not at that particular uh, – not intercourse per se. I don't think we get any answers. Maybe he tried it and was humiliated that he wasn't able to or something with other people. I don't well, know. Well, it's just, it's just weird because when – the video finishes, you see the back of Graham's head again with the camera, and he's kind of close up, mm-hmm. and she's on the couch. So I don't I don't know. Uh, would you I don't mean, know. I'm I, he, he turns the camera off because this is a real experience. This is my interpretation. It's going to be a real experience. They're both we're starved to for, for human touch. And I also have a problem with just dismiss, just saying, oh, yeah, the, you meet the right person and your impotency is cured. That's probably my big issue with it. You you your can have psychological impotency. Potency. It doesn't just your have to be a physiological. I just think it's very romanticized, that aspect to it. Impotency is a, it is a condition. <laughs> it is, but he was hung and up on meeting the meeting the right gal isn't just going to fix it, Sam. Well, we don't know if they last or not. Maybe that's why he's writing part two. They get a divorce and nothing works out. and He's awful and turns into John. I don't know. But I think it's sweet. And if I'm with the – is it the optimist or the pessimist view? I forget. What What's expected is it looks what's like expected a hap- ver- uh, What's expected versus what you've decided happened. Yeah. So what what what's expected was she he did miraculously get cured of his impotence. They're living together now. Right they they have a partnership now, right? I think that he really is in, impotent, and that she is either asexual or or just maybe does not prefer sex, uh, or can like she said, I can kind of do without it. I think they're perfect in that their sexual demands 
are not that uh, far apart. Sexy. Yeah, that far apart. But but also, if she said, "I can help you," they could have a very lovely and emotional and intimate relationship going in. It doesn't have to be that like that. Suddenly, he's not anymore. Um, that could have been a process. We're not privy to that though. One of my favorite films, romantic type films, is the film Carrington, yeah. and uh, that is about a very deep emotional love. Uh, romantic in its way, yeah. And they they do not consummate their relationship. So well, there can be you know the platonic love at a higher level. There's something chaste about platonic love, and I think that in Carrington, she loves him. Pat, she loves Lytton uh, passionately. Passionately I've not seen loves Carrington, Lytton. so I can't. And she would, much. she would love to be able to, uh, be able to consummate that relationship with him. Well, he, he, he's gay. He, he does not have a physical attraction to her. As, um, you know, he's not going to consummate that relationship with her. But, but see, I think this is a little different in that Graham is attracted to her, and he is, and yes. she is attracted to him, and. Yes, he's he's needs help but, uh, and she needs help, so they're going to help each other. But impotency is just cured overnight from meeting the right person. I don't know. I just have I can't speak to that personally because of neither can my I. lack of certain bits. No, I don't know enough about it. Wait, let me look it up. But he's very he's very upfront and matter of fact Wait. about I can't have sex with can someone in like in front of me. Psychological. Average recovery time is very specific. Eight weeks. Yeah, so I'd like to know. Eight weeks. There. Eight weeks? That's what it says. He's been doing it for nine years. I I think that time, that period of time, we're supposed to think that's nine years since he actually saw Elizabeth. That's what I thought. Well, she says something like, you've been doing – how long have you been doing this? Oh, that's that's true, yeah. So – but anyhow, if it's psychological and not because of a medical condition or some sort of medication he's taking, if he's able to get over that block and he is allow, uh, allowing himself to feel emotion for someone, because he does say when she has the tables turned on the camera, he says, this, is, this was not supposed to happen. And I took that to mean I wasn't supposed to fall in love for you or to have feelings for you. Here's the other thing, too. Uh, if he is on s- some of – Let's let's say, for instance, he he did have a depression. Yeah. Maybe the nonverbal expressing. We were talking about this before. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't violent, but it was hugely inappropriate and made people uncomfortable. Some of those some of those medications. Some of oh, the medications. Eighty nine. You know that wasn't on my radar, Beth. Yeah. Like what was out there in eighty nine. I mean. I, I think he leaves it deliberately ambiguous. And we forgot to mention that he has this cathartic physical response after John leaves the Graham character. He starts smashing up all of his videos. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, I took note. He has a duplex, and obviously somebody with children is in the one next to his because there's a tricycle (laughs) or this. So I'm thinking throwing the videotapes out the door, not a good idea (laughs) with with the kids. (laughs) Next door. Well, he broke them into tiny little pieces. He tried. Though, so. I, I'm surprised right. he didn't rip up his hands, but he he also bashes his right. recorder like, I'm finished with this stuff. Yeah. 
So we get a little glimpse of how we can lose control. Yes. Yes. This film seems so much a part of our um, – I, I remember watching this film and thinking, this is a pretty sophisticated film. I'm sophisticated now because I'm watching this film. <laughs> That's how I felt Do after have, Hannah and her sister. But I, but I remember feeling, because I was aware that they were a couple of years older than us, that, oh, we're going to get there at some point. Ma- yeah. yeah. And and also it just felt very real. It was before social media, right? So you did meet in real time. Can you imagine the, the even concept that Graham, had, Graham didn't have a phone? Cell phones weren't around yet. He had no way of normal communication and most of us didn't right we didn't walk we didn't have cell phones we'd ring somebody up and say hey you want to meet at irish times okay pan american whatever and and do it or hey did you hear there's a shakespeare beer in the park thing over at carlin park and let's go meet up we'd find each other somehow without saying are you text me where you are right here it is a miracle yeah it is a miracle that we found each other at all we found our way to the park with it's a miracle we had a social life i know by happen by happenstance and you'd run into people too like oh hey hey and then then it would be all exciting but now everything's fucking you know scheduled down to the second now we know where everybody is at all times literally because you can also track your your house, right? Or and now, it's no big deal. People send dick pics and whatever. <laughs> it's like the whole uh, medium is is changed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the boundaries. Yeah. Very few boundaries. Well, I don't like where this is going. I don't either, and I don't like because I did read some little (laughs) article where um, uh, Soderbergh said he didn't consider – he thought it was the height of sophistication when he made it, and then many years later later was kind of cringy, like, oh, I thought I was sophisticated. And, okay, you can find glossier, glossier. But what was so wonderful about this was there were no big bangs and pows and – there was a lot of negative space in there or, you know, space to breathe or look at a character or the pauses that you have in real conversation. No slick dialogue, but real dialogue. I liked that. It's sort of probing beyond the the superficial, just kind of going through the motions about what we're supposed to do. Right. I think our generation is upset, was obsessed in, in our youth <laughs> about – well, identity, what do we want to do all, versus, and, and, yeah. and also thinking less of ourselves than we had a right to. We we go back and yeah. look at photos and things like that and think, oh, I was, yeah. it was okay. Insecurity yeah. is top of the list in the themes of this thing. Yeah. But the other thing, too, is we know what we're supposed to be doing at a certain time in our in the timeline of our life. Yeah. But it's it's the battle of that versus what do I want to do? Yeah. <laughs> With my time or my energy or my ambition, you know. So. But but also it was a time where nobody was, you know, at least in my my in my circles and with my life, nobody was pushing me to say you must do this, achieve this by this time, achieve, achieve, achieve. It there was time for exploration. A I, lot I wish, of I, wish I had going on. my. I used to keep journals faithfully, and I, I still do, but I don't have some that were from that time, and I wish I did. I bet I wrote it down. I highly, highly, and I think I can speak for you too, Beth, yes, uh, recommend this film. We always say that. I, it's a good film. You know what You know what this film is? 
This is a, a, a double feature type film for a Sunday afternoon. Nice little uh, With what? intimate quartet piece. Yeah. And pair it with uh, another indie film. What is a good movie that to pair that pair this with? Oh, I heard hear the mermaids. Sing. I'm trying to think of like a contemporary film yeah. of that. Oh era. gosh, I remember watching. I heard I've heard. The hear the mermaids sing. sing. Oh, um, Desert Hearts. You know, Desert Hearts. Just pair it up. Pair it up with a queer movie. But but I'm in a different camp. I think this is a little gym, and if you. If you want to know what it was really like back there, if you're of that age, younger, then then that is a very fair representation. If you're a Gen Xer, you will have wonderful memories, hopefully. Hopefully it'll bring the good parts. And I just think that all of the worries that we carry on our shoulders right now are not there for us to, to make us suffer through. It's a simple human drama, and it's charming. For whatever was going on in my life when that film came in and was also... A breath of fresh air because because of the way it was shot. This indie film yeah. when indie films weren't really a category that that was very well known. I think. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. There were art house films, yeah, but indie, right? foreign films, but this kind of jump started a whole movement, really. Yeah. It's definitely a film worth revisiting, and for younger generation, I think if they're contemporaries of of this. This group of characters, I think they would also enjoy that. So, uh, what what are you watching? Anything in particular? Didn't I tell you I was watching something, and now I can't remember. I've been watching um, uh, seafaring disasters on YouTube. <laughs> but go ahead. Wait, no, you can't just leave. What? <laughs> like what? Yes, there Obi are Dick like several and... channels. Several channels you can watch about uh, seafaring disasters. Oh, you mean ahead. like documentary type things? Yes, but they're independent. So, the, in, along with the indie theme, these independently made videos. Do, do any about, of them deal you know, with freak waves? Because I'm obsessed with freak not, waves. Not there yet. Usually, somebody left a scuttle open. They didn't, you know, close the scuttle and dog it. So. Okay, I've. N I'm trying to think. Did I find a series? No, I'm in search of a series. Okay. So. All right. I watched Deliverance recently. <laughs> yes. And we watched Sex Lives and Videotape. Yeah, yes, we did. But um, everyone okay. out there, thank you so much. Um, we do have a, a few places where you can find us. This is our call to action. We have a dedicated email address, and that's celluloidpudding, all one word, at gmail.com. We have a an Instagram presence, and we're uh, pudpod, that's P-U-D-D-P-O-D. So the at symbol, then that on Instagram, and we try to put entertaining visuals up there. And we also have a Twitter account. Am I going to get it right? Puddin? Celluloid Puddin, P-U-D-D-N, on Twitter. At Celluloid Puddin on Twitter. But check us out. Also, we have a link tree attached to our episodes in on our Instagram. If you want to click that. We are an affiliate of Loudness FM, great service, loudnessfm.com. If you have any audio you want cleaned up, you can click on that link. They give you three free hours a month. They have a subscription service if you need that. You can just purchase credits for, for as much audio that you need cleaned up per hour. 
and that's also very convenient and very affordable. That way you don't have to feel like you have a, a yearly subscription. You can just do it as you go. And we've dealt with them personally. They do a spanking good job, and you get to speak to human beings. So we <laughs> spanking good spanking job. Spanking good. Well, good night, Sam. Good night, Beth, John Boy, and I don't know the other members of the house. Ma and Pa. Good night. Good night.